Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hello and welcome, everybody. We are back with another episode of Life List. I am here with both Alvaro Jaramillo and Molly Brown today. My name is George Armistead. How are you guys doing today? Hey, good. Doing well. Yeah, we're recording on December 31st, so I think we're all quite ready for 2022. Oh, are we oh, ever? Yeah. Man, <laughs> sayonara 2021. Don't let yeah. the door hit you in the rear end on your way Yeah, out. I'm mm. ready for a little festivities a little later on, too, today. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to get a little loose tonight, Al? I Maybe, you know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. You know, it's always, uh, it's funny, you know, like why we celebrate this one day, you know, kind of randomly because we, you know, sort of it's a change of the calendar seems sort of legitimately silly. But on the other hand, it's actually really, really a major thing to just sort of have a spot in the, in the year where you go, okay, we've done this, let's move on to the new one. And especially in this, this year, mm-hmm. you just feel like, okay, moving into a, brighter future, positive attitude, and all that, even though things are nasty right now. But you yeah. can see that that little tunnel is getting closer, you know. Gosh, would sure be nice. Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way this year. I'm not usually thinking about it as, you know, a new start or whatever. But Yeah. And maybe it's just, you know, pandemic influence on on social stuff too, but I kind of like the idea that everybody's thinking the same thing and I feel a little bit of camaraderie in it. And yeah. Some, that feels cool. Some solidarity, <laughs> like turn the friggin' page, people. Let's do this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Burn your calendars from last year. <laughs> Put them in the shredder. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Nice. Well, Molly Brown, what have you been up to lately? Well, I've, you know, been stumbling through the holidays, which we've been back from Uganda for a few weeks now, but I feel like I'm still recovering. Feels like that. yesterday still, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And I we've had such unseasonably warm weather here. Every day I feel like, well, it's actually kind of nice out and the birds are kind of, you know, I'd like to be seeing more ducks and stuff now and they're not around, but I think, oh, I'll get outside while I can and take advantage of this weather and move around hike a little bit and I've kind of been doing that every day because <laughs> we keep getting these days that are in the 50s 60s uh Fahrenheit and yeah that's that's been about it hiking and seeing some common winter birds and enjoying that here yeah similar similar here I've been you know I think it's much discussed here how I like the crisp cool weather and there hasn't been a whole lot of that uh since I got back Really, it's been mostly pretty mild, but um, yeah, it's been kind of mild and humid and wet uh, lately. But did get uh, did get out to the Forsyth Refuge Brig, as it is known locally, one of the best birding spots on the East Coast, really, uh, if not the country. It's just there's always tons of birds there, and me and Dad and Kristen took the pup, went down there, did the full wildlife loop. And, uh, nothing rare, but, you know, seeing, I don't know, 4,000 snow geese get up and, you know, make a ton of noise and fly around. I mean, even the dog was impressed and, uh, you know, it was, (laughs) it was, it was a lot of sound and a lot of sights. And one of the things uh, I really like actually there is seeing like hundreds of American black ducks. There's actually not that many places you can go. I know of where you can really see hundreds. That's got to be one of the best places in the country is to see American black ducks. So you know, that was pretty cool. We had a Mexican duck here. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I was just thinking your black duck comment. It's like now it's a whole new thing to look for. Yeah. You know, not only is there a Mexican duck out by you, Alvaro, but there is a mottled duck in Maryland, the first state record. Pretty nice. Boy, no, nothing is going to make people happier than looking at looking for brown ducks that all kind of monochromatic like mallards. <laughs> yeah, yeah pretty sexy. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Sorry to. These are both news to me. What's what's the Mexican duck range? Do you get them that far? No, this is a big deal. Um, okay, this is the first um, 
I mean, it's a review species for California now that it is officially a species now again. Um, mm. And and to see one this far north is is a big deal. But they've had them in Colorado, I think. I want to say Colorado. And I think the more you look, the more you uh, people are finding them. But you, usually it was sort of New Mexico and I think uh, Arizona were sort of the hubs of where most of them showed up. And many of them were hybrid types. Uh, it's a it's a complex situation, not only identification wise, but because of this hybridization. But yeah, it's a. I mean, I was one of those things where I saw that I was like, really, you know, like shocked that up here, you know. Hmm. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> yeah, ducks are fun. They're not uh, the best looking ones, but they are cool, and I think. I'm trying to remember, but I believe Mexican duck holds the distinction of being the first time that eBird like parted ways with the North American Classification Committee on taxonomy. Hmm. I think that they split Mexican duck before the NAC did North American Classification Committee. But uh, maybe maybe yeah, you're telling me I that NAC has right. come around on Mexican duck. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think it's official both by both. Yeah, and I, I mean, if if we're all keen on it, let's also officially have uh, the lifeless um, accept Mexican duck. Yeah, you yeah, heard it you here. Guys, you guys in? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can we do maybe an anonymous vote on this? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna abstain. <laughs> I'm gonna lump black duck though. No. Oh, oh, just causing controversy, <laughs> trying you to sell episodes to people. Did uh, you hear what he said? He's going to lump black duck. Why? For shame. No, there's no reason to. Everybody just calm down. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that is around here right now, which is hitting my eBird alerts pretty much daily, and I have failed to muster any enthusiasm for it is that there is a mandarin duck in philly and Ooh. while they are exceptionally beautiful i think a lot of folks don't realize how they're actually you know there's a few of them around they're not uh they're not that hard to find if uh if you go looking for them but you know <laughs> i i don't want to uh, yuck anybody's yum but uh there are a lot of people yumming the mandarin duck here in philadelphia that's the duck I've seen on my Facebook feed is your Philadelphia Mandarin duck. Yep. It's like <laughs> the photographers are going crazy for it. And yeah, you can understand why. They are they are pretty. They're pretty ostentatious. Yeah. You know, th this is a I think it's a cultural shift in birding. Um, we had a Chilaway widgeon here in Santa Cruz area and people were going to see the Chilaway widgeon photograph the Chilaway widgeon. They're enjoying the Chilaway widgeon. People started asking me, could this be wild? I said, no, no, there's no way this is a wild bird. It's the scapee. But it, in the past, if it was a non-wild bird, it would have had zero interest from the birding community, sort of the whole, you know, broad sense of the birding community. But today, something that is not a wild bird is has appeal to a certain section of the birding community, and that's the complete cultural shift we we have. And I, I don't want to say it's wrong or right or whatever. Uh, it's just people wanting to see this thing, photograph it, ponder it. I, you know, I guess there's nothing wrong with that, but yeah. it is odd to yeah. me as a longtime birder. Like you know, I mean, it's it's almost like going to a zoo, right, to see yeah. a, a bird. So mm -hmm. I don't know what to say. This is really interesting, and I think we're going to talk about enjoying owls in a little bit, too. And it's the same kind of thing where you just get a totally different or broader group of people. And I, I don't know, I find this really fascinating. And I'm always tempted to think that, well, you know, people enjoy this, and maybe they'll start enjoying all birds. But in, in becoming birders, and we've talked a little bit about, like, what makes somebody a birder, but I guess it is that. I, people really enjoy birds like this. And this is the kind of stuff that can get on the local news a lot easier. And just like, there's this, you know, big community interest in something. And I think, I don't I think it's really cool. 
Yeah, it's not a bad thing. You're right. I think Al, you're you use the adjective odd, which is kind of the way I feel about it as well. It's it feels odd. I don't I don't mm-hmm. feel negatively about it, and I think you're totally right, Molly. Like I mean, look at the the Mandarin duck that was in uh, can't remember if it was Brooklyn or some, it was in New York um, mm-hmm. last year. Remember the hot duck was like you know that thing was making waves, and like hundreds of people showed up to go look at that thing, and that's you know it's sort of the sort of the same thing here with this this mandarin duck at the moment it's they're stunning birds and you know if you if you haven't seen them before or you're you know it's it and it is it's been picked up by the local news and you know i i get lots of texts from non-birding friends like did you hear about the mandarin duck and i'm like yes yes mm-hmm. i can show you all my e-bird <laughs> alerts uh, i've heard thank you thank if, you folks. you know in, in japan if you, you know you can go and see mandarin ducks that are wild and so forth but they're actually really hard to see well. They're in these little ponds and you got to look through the scope. And it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting to me that, you know, with these escapee Mandarin ducks are so tame and you can get to see how amazingly beautiful they are. Well, in the wild, it's actually a difficult species to see well in most cases. I'm sure there's some spots in Japan and Korea and so forth that, where you can find them mm-hmm. easily and see them up close. But I, it's, uh, yeah, so even when you go and see the wild things, you don't get the look that you can in New York, Philadelphia. <laughs> mm, yeah. Are they skittish? Yeah, and they're sort of hide, they're kind of like wood ducks. They, you know, well, mm-hmm. they are kind of like wood ducks, mm-hmm. but they hide in, in that sort of dark area in a wooded pond right next to the, underneath the leaves of, you know, so they're 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 a little bit, yeah, just shy, skittish and and hide in the darkness of the edge of the ponds same genus as wood duck which i don't know how to pronounce it a-i-x uh Aix. Aix? yeah um, Yikes. And, yeah and while the in, in both species the males are just you know absolutely stunning uh and the females actually are really beautiful as well but they are it's it's fascinating to look at a female mandarin duck and a female wood duck and see just how similar they actually appear you can you know, you can kind of appreciate the structure of the males and, you know, be like, yeah, I, I see that they're similar. But when you see the females, you're like, oh, wow, I see those things are definitely in the same genus. Like, I totally see that. They're cool. And they're not that distantly related from the Muscovy. So the three actually form a group. But hmm. Muscovy doesn't look like them at all, other than the long tail and the arboreal nature that they have. So here's a trivia question that you have provoked that from me alvaro with that Uh-oh. statement and i'm not 100 percent sure i'm correct about this so folks can can write us and, and tell me i'm wrong but george loves trivia yes my understanding is that there are only two new world species that have been successfully domesticated of Any birds or yeah, bird species yeah okay well muscovy Yes. And ber- domesticated bird species. You might have eaten it on Thanksgiving. Oh, turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Are there yeah, any was, others was, you can think of? I, I don't know. Uh, guinea pig, it. but that's not a bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, the, someone told me this, and I've been testing it out so far. It seems to hold up pretty good. I, tra- I tested it out on the group in, in Uganda, and... And people thought I was, you know, BSing, but, uh, you know, they, they tend to think I do that anyway. So. Yeah, right. I just got excited because I was like, oh, I know the answer. And I was like, wait, I heard this question from you already. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's now, a good one. Yeah. And and with you, you know, we're ducks and geese. You, you have two domesticated duck lines, right? One is the mallard duck line, which is most domestic ducks, and then the muscovy domestication but geese actually have two separate domestication lines too one from gray lag and another one from the swan goose Hmm. which is uh kind of wild you don't think of that one but that was domesticated completely separately to give you those what they call african goose which is i don't know why they're not in africa um with the big knob Mm -hmm. on the on the those are from the swan goose in asia so it's, it's interesting how that all you know, domestication, why it, it's successful it's sometimes and other times it isn't. You yeah. Know? 
Well, ducks are fun. We could spend a lot more time talking about ducks and waterfowl. If you ever want to get into some pretty messy breeding biology, boy, there is a rabbit hole you could really go down and, and we'll we'll save that for another day. But I did want to mention, guys, that today was the big news, very sad, that at the age of 99, Betty White has passed. A the iconic Betty White. Um, as a huge fan of the Golden Girls, me and my sisters were devout <laughs> watchers of the Golden Girls. I dare say, arguably, the best theme song ever for a television show. Like right up there with Hawaii Five O, Magnum PI, the A Team, the Golden Girls. I I can still sing it word for word. I'll I'll spare you that for now. But man, that is a good theme song and a hell of a cast. And Betty White made that show. Yeah, she was. She was also on that. Wasn't she on Mary Tyler Moore? That's where I, I think as a kid, probably saw her. Wasn't she on there? You could be right. I, uh, I remember her from the Golden Girls, and then like various cameos in movies. Um, I associated with, you know, with um, Mary Tyler Moore. She was like, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but you could but, well yeah. be. I that was Mary Tyler Moore was like no offense, Al, a little before my time. Like I watched well, an episode it's or called two. Reruns, reruns. <laughs> you ever heard of reruns? I mean, I I watched all sorts of stuff that was reruns. I've heard I of rerun re- on what's happening now. He was one of my yeah. favorite characters. Yeah, yeah, that was. How can how can how come that show didn't go more than two seasons? Huh? It one of the best classic. shows ever. Yeah. Mo- Molly's looking at us going, I've never even heard about rerun <laughs> or what. what's, what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not up on pop culture. I've never watched much TV. I'm slowly catching up on things, but I can't even get away from it on a birding podcast. So. <laughs> Go pick it. You, you know, I, I was thinking too about this, the Golden Girls, right? Because I never watched it at all. And I, there was a period of time where we didn't have a TV. And there's a bunch of time where I'm completely empty in terms of TV knowledge, which is probably not a bad thing. It's actually, you know, fill your brain up with other things rather than, you know, TV <laughs> trivia. Yeah. Yeah. It's never bothered me too much, uh, except for now, for millions of listeners who are going to all be judging me. Mm, they're going to be judging George for watching the Golden Girls. They're going to be judging you. So they're going to be like, geez, I thought I liked this show, but the guy watched all of the Golden Girls shows. I mean, Every episode. <laughs> never missed an episode. He was, he was a big fan of Greatest American Hero, too, which is. Uh, oh, that's a good song, too. Good one, Al. <laughs> <laughs> Who watched that? I don't know. Mm. See. <laughs> well, what I did see on TV. Uh, internet TV, Disney Plus TV was a CGI saw what owl. Yes. That I was so excited to see pop on a screen a couple weeks ago. Yes. Uh, in the newest Marvel series. Yeah. And George, you saw that too? I was blown away. I was like, I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> oh there God. it is. This, yeah. 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 I was so excited. I was like, oh, there it is again. Now look at it. It's doing <laughs> stuff. It just kept coming back. Oh, so cool. Yeah, that's, that was in the the final episode, right? They're like, you know, of of Hawkeye, right? So even a, yeah. a bird reference in the name of Hawkeye, and we, I, I think it's not a spoiler to say that this was in the the final episode. Well, it was a good time watching me and uh, and and the kids here. We were we enjoy the Marvel series, and yeah, it was like it was totally a uh, an homage, uh, a tribute to the the Solwet that showed up at the Christmas tree there in Rockefeller, um, you know, at, at the Rockefeller center there, what was it last year, the year before, remember there was that big story and they just threw it. It was like a little throw in, in the show. And I was just like, that is perfect. You know, it was mm-hmm. so good. So yeah, not having seen this show or the CGI owl, I'm like, do you actually have to CGI a solid owl? Can't you just get video of like one just sitting there? Because that's what, that's what they do. They just sit there, right? Well, well if it's carrying away the shrunken enemies. Oh, okay. That's right. Okay. I forgot that they did that. <laughs> okay. It was so it it like did... kind of played the hero role too. That's right. I totally <laughs> forgot that it like it snatched up a couple of the villains after they'd been shrunk and like flew and you, you remember they were like 
what happens to him now? And then the owls like zips in and <laughs> okay, so now I get it. Yeah. I now I know why you have to CGI a solid owl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty cool. <laughs> I guess that is a spoiler, but yeah, and and one of those things where I I don't know I I kind of knew it's hard to judge when you're like in the birding world. What's what's the public scene? Because you feel like that's all over the news, just like a Mandarin duck. And I guess it really was. Like the general public knew enough about this for it to get into a a TV series. So yeah, especially really in New cool. York, I feel like the those mm-hmm. things show in New York, and they just like you know it's like they they kind of blow up. But that was a cool one. As birds in film go, you know, there's some real, some real strange ones out there, um, and some real tough ones to swallow if you're a bird enthusiast. Uh, but that one was was pretty well placed. I thought. Yeah, yeah. that was cool. I thought some of the bird placement stuff in actually the movie the big year were were the parts i liked least about that movie like if they had done something that was a little bit more legit you know even the localities for some of the stuff were like i mean i don't even remember exactly what it was but well there was like the pink-footed goose on like the thermal (laughs) hot springs of like a remote mountain in minnesota or something like none of it really made any sense it was like right yeah um and as I recall, the great gray owl, I think, was someplace that just wouldn't have been. Um, right. Exactly. That's, yeah. you know, you go to, the, you know, you're making a birding movie, you would think you would get those elements right. Like if it was a movie about skiing, you know, they'd probably be more interested in making the thing make sense, you know, but because still people don't understand birding, they, they just oh, we just put in a rare bird in some rare place. That's that's enough. Oh no, there's more to it. <laughs> it's not random. <laughs> yeah, there were. Uh, <laughs> I always think back, like, and this is I'm dating myself again here, but I remember seeing the Charlie's Angel movies, the the first one, you know, with Drew Barrymore and Cameron Diaz, and dude, Lewis. I remember seeing the real Charlie's Angels show. Well, so yeah, me too, with- and I remember that as well. And it, <laughs> As, as an impressionable young boy, let's just say I was impressed. But uh, there, there was like the movie, and it, like I remember, there's a, a scene. I think it's on the Golden Gate Bridge, and they have a silver gull come and land on the bridge. It's like a, kind of at the apex of this high speed car chase, and they have this hmm. silver gull. And in the same movie, Cameron Diaz, she figures out where. Like they're trying to rescue Bill Murray from a jail cell, and she this a troupial comes in, you know, the tropical Oriole troupial comes mm-hmm. into the like the typical jail cell with like two little bars, open window. A troupial comes in and starts singing away, and I forget what the song was. I believe it was not a troupial, but then Cameron Diaz says, "That's Sita Pygmaea, the pygmy nuthatch." Those are only in Carmel. And then they go and rescue Bill Murray. And I'm like, wow, they just like stacked mis- bird, Stack. you know, misinformation here, like in such a way that my head kind of exploded. It's pretty impressive. So, you know, when you're, you said Cameron Diaz, it just brought me back to the Mexican duck. Latin name, scientific name, Anas Diaz. Diaz, yes. Name for Cameron Diaz. No. <laughs> yeah, that sounds anyway. like a true fact. Yeah. I know that's the kind of thing that you get people to believe. Really? <laughs> um yeah. Well, you know, I was in in Canada too recently. Uh, I just came back like hours ago and spent some time with Peter Burke. Um and uh I've one of the things that sort of strikes you first of all, you every time you turn on the radio, your Drake is on. And all the Canadian artists, <laughs> but you go, you, so, you know, I'm, I got that cell phone song in my mm-hmm. head right now. Nice. Now, so do <laughs> a sector yeah. of the listening audience. Right I was going to say, thank that. you very much, Alvaro. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And, and you go to the Tim Hortons and they have those donut holes. Yeah. Those are the best. Thing. What do they call them? The, uh, yeah, Timbits, right? Timbits. That's right. Yeah. So Timbits have a there have a special timbit right now a set of them that are designed by um uh justin bieber and they're like <laughs> called bieber bits or something like oh, weird man. like something really kind of gross sounding. and and you're wondering like why who would have thought this you know because he's canadian right and um 
in any case, I was just thinking about all the weird stuff you see there. And he went on a local fishing boat here, uh, and uh, apparently is uh, into fishing, but not hmm. so. You know, we might be able to get Justin, you know, into the birding worlds if he might be, you know, one. And I gather that Getty Lee from Rush, oh yeah, another Canadian is uh, a big birder. Yeah. So like, yeah. So a little Canadian uh, content there. <laughs> yeah. I heard about Getty Lee. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Well, and of course, you know, and, and I don't, I don't want to move too fast here, but we, we were just talking earlier about how Alvaro, your buddy, Leo DiCaprio just uh <laughs> your good buddy i know you got him on speed dial the the uh yeah. that he just put out on instagram this lost birds project um which is pretty crazy like 51.5 million followers leonardo dicaprio actor and environmentalist his instagram account says and he put out this graphic which has birds like Jordan's courser and Cuban kite and this Madagascar bird that I can't remember what it is and the South Island kakako uh, from New Zealand. It's got all is these like Vilca really Bamba cool brush finch. Is that was it? Yeah, Vilca Bamba. Is that what it was? Yeah, Vilca Bamba. Yeah, Vilca Bamba brush finch. That's a pretty good looking one too. Um, and this is all about this new search for lost birds. A collaboration between a couple different partners, including the American Bird Conservancy and BirdLife International, and it says with data support from Cornell, and they are looking for birds like Jordan's courser, the dusky tetraca. That was the bird I was trying to remember from Madagascar, and a number of other birds I mentioned: the the South, South Island kakako. Seen the North Island one, a pretty awesome bird, makes some really cool sounds. Alvaro, someday you're going to see that Cuban kite. I just know it. I feel confident right. about that. And then yeah. they've got a couple others here the Negros fruit dove, Santa Marta saber wing, the Vilcabamba brush finch we mentioned, Himalayan quail, and the Seau scops owl, not to mention the Itwabambe nightjar. Um, and these are all birds mostly that haven't been seen in a long, long time. A couple just in 2010, but like Himalayan quail and Seau scops owl, we're going back to the mid 1800s since they've been seen last. Um, So pretty cool project. Uh, BirdLife International website has got a lot about this lost birds, search for lost birds project. But yeah, Alvaro, we're counting on you to set up a trip to get us all a Cuban kite. Cuban kite, yeah. And, you know, and rum tasting. Ooh. And mm-hmm. Cuban <laughs> I, kite and celebration. Yeah. You <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I think it's interesting for a couple of reasons. Well, these are all birds that actually could be still around. So the expeditions are going to mount to find them have a potential for success. It's not like going to look for these things where we know they're gone, obviously, or, you know, it's really low chance. But I also think this Leonardo DiCaprio, and hey, if he wants to go birding with any of us, we're we're, we're up for the uh, challenge to show him something new. Yeah. Actually, I was going to say that he seems to be legitimately legitimately interested in the, in the ideas of conservation and um, he might be, th- he's the real deal. And it's interesting that we always sort of celebrities have an element of, are, you know, are they real in their, you know, what they tell you or what they're doing or, or is it, it's some kind of publicity thing. I mm-hmm. think this guy actually is, is legitimately interested in making the world a better place, uh, which is awesome. I think, cause you know, he's got a voice. How many followers? 51 and a half million. Yeah, it's more than we have, I think. Yeah, it's it's a fair few more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't mind a sliver of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, so, you know, so we, we've given him a shout out so he could give us a shout out back. You know, that's reciprocal <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, seems not unreasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah let's, let's all go look for the Cuban kite. What do you say, Molly? I would love 
to go look for the Cuban kite. <laughs> yeah. Cuba's always been high on my list. Mm. So just next there. door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I only had, I had four days there just kind of did a quick in and out. Uh, it was not really a birding trip there. I know Al, you've been a bunch. That is huh. a place I'd love to get back. Uh, I mean, you could just go spend a week in Havana and just have a great time just doing that. You know, forget forget birding for yeah. a little bit, little bit. Just such a cool ha- city. Havana, na, na, na. <laughs> we'll get that song <laughs> into people's heads. I'm happy to say uh, I don't know that one. No. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> first, he didn't know Rock Hound. No. <laughs> The list of things that I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pretty long. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, this, uh, this is good stuff. We, uh, we thank Leo for shedding a light. And um, yeah, if you want, want to go birding, you know, just uh, give us a shout. We'll be, we'll be happy to take him out sometime. One thing uh, I did want to, uh, Kind of going back to your your saw what owl uh, Molly, it reminded me that one that was in um, Times Square, I guess it was. Uh, the, you know, at the at the big Christmas tree in New York, I think they were taking down the tree, found the saw what owl, and everybody was like, "Oh my God, this is the cutest thing alive!" You know, <laughs> it's like look at that cute little owl. Yeah. And um, we had something kind of similar happen here in Philadelphia where somebody sent me a photo. They kind of know I was like, they're like, Oh, George, you're a bird guy here in Philly. Here's a, here's a photo of a, this little owl that's hanging out downtown. And if you were to pick the most urban part of Philadelphia, this would have been it. There was literally one tree at this intersection, bars, restaurants, you know, big department stores, skyscrapers, there's no habitat. Um, it's just city. It's just urban. There's one tree, and I forget what kind of tree it was, but maybe 40 feet up, there's this little solid owl. Just got his head tucked in, you know, to his back, sitting there sleeping. And I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, this thing is right downtown. This is This is actually an opportunity, I think. You know, this thing is happy. I went in there. Turned out that there's some security guards that like there's a construction zone set up there and there's big, you know, public transit buses going by making a ton of noise and this thing's just sleeping away. And then later somebody came up with photos of it. It was actually successfully hunting little rodents from the street. And it was just like, you know, it'd sit up on like the wall of one of the stores there. And, you know, it hung out for a couple of days and I thought, geez, this is an opportunity. Here's this thing right downtown, you know, birders around, but also lots of just people, sort of like what you were talking about, Molly, with the with the Mandarin duck, Chilloway Widgeon. Like, this is an opportunity to put a spotlight on a bird and get them interested. And, I, you know, we, we kind of wrestled with it as to whether, you know, we should let folks put the word out more widely and eventually decided this thing's in a safe spot that it's high enough up in the tree that, you know, there's, there's passersby just standing right underneath it, which, you know, we advised against while we were there, but it was, it was happily sleeping away, comfortable, you know, catching food. And so, you know, we did put the word out and dozens of people came and saw and enjoyed this thing. And then that night it flew off, you know, and that was it. It wasn't seen again, but, in a day and a time when it's so frowned upon to talk about owls and talk about locations, I I thought this was actually an example of what, like there's such inspir- inspirational animals that this is actually an opportunity to like show people and really maybe get some people kickstarted in birding. So I don't know. I I just thought it was a nice, an interesting little um, you know instance where I thought it was okay to show an owl. Uh, nowadays, a lot of folks don't like it when you do that. Yeah, I guess it's, you know, it's a classic, I mean, maybe it's it's a mis- 
application of the concept of the tragedy of the commons, right? Like we we are all um wanting to see these things, you know, and 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 enjoy them, but all it takes is essentially a few people to to do something negative towards the owl and then we all lose, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and and when it was when birding was a smaller situation, pastime, not that many people, everybody knew and got info on every single owl that was out there. And you want to see a long eared owl that you know, somebody would tell you where, where they roost or it it was completely open information and it was a it was a great time to to go be able to go and see all this stuff, especially where I grew up in, in Ontario where we had a lot of owls in winter. And um now it's it's all frowned upon because it it's not gonna end up well. I mean all, nearly all not all of the time, but most of the time it's not gonna end up well uh for the owl. There's some one all it takes is one person to go and scare the owl or the roost or whatever and it's done and it used to be that we we all kind of knew that you just wanted to you know be able to have that owl roost again next week or whatever so you just you know you kept it the distance you knew when the owls you know you could watch them kind of get a little bit skinnier and you know oh too close or whatever and also we didn't have good cameras so you weren't going to get a great picture anyway now the people wanting to get that awesome photo a lot of people just do whatever um and it's a shame right because there's it it it's it meant means that it's harder for us to get all the info but also i think it there's a yeah i mean it, i also think there's an element of um sometimes there is a power situation in the people who have the information and don't want to give it and I find that is a as a negative situation that's happening too. Sort of where I ask myself, how, how do we get here, and and how do we unravel ourselves from this? Because there is a way we could have in the future where we could have information about owls and people behave properly, but we just have to put up a system of some kind, you know. But I, I always get saddened when I hear about all this kind of stuff, because I, I grew up in a time when we didn't have this concern, or at least it was minor. Yeah. There used to be a lot more self-policing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say that pretty much all of my time of being involved in, you know, hearing birding news has been in the latter part of that. But I don't know, Al, I agree with everything you said. I, it hurts me to see someone use conservation as an excuse for power which you do see um but yeah i i kind of think in circles on this like is this all because of photography kind of is it social media um and i guess i kind of think it's that as much as photography because i think about people wanting these like up close experiences with animals and i'm kind of thinking you know like big national parks or those kinds of things where you see people getting stupidly close to something where they can get themselves hurt or hurt the animal or whatever and like are people just searching for adventure in nature and that's how they feel like they're getting an experience i don't know and then so so i think through this and it all comes back to me i guess awareness is the best defense weapon that that i can think of um it's tough though yeah yeah i when i was in toronto i i decided to get up early and go to my old stomping grounds when I used to go birding as a kid, uh, teenager. And I knew that there's it's a good snowy owl year. So I thought, I mean, I, I didn't get any information or anything. I just, if there's snowy owls, I know where they're going to be. You know, it's like I've been there before years ago. And it's it's been 20 years since I've been to this spot. And sure enough, I found two snowy owls. And it was really magical to be, you know, these this one snow owl was i was uh relatively close to it and it was just sitting there doing his own thing and there was nobody around i think because i was in there in the morning and uh i had this really great experience photographing it watching it and then eventually flew off to scare another owl like not a whiter male and that is the magical experience the photographs i got don't 
don't actually portray the the situation of like I'm here, like skyline of Toronto's behind me, big buildings, there's Arctic owls in front of me. I'm sitting here, kind of cold, and we're just sort of there, you know. And that that was that's the part that I cannot get in a photo, and I think that there's you get the photo. And for some people, like it's like they're trying to capture that something there, that 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 situation. But you can't capture that situation. You know, that's where your words are. What you know, you want to tell people about that situation rather than the picture. And I just wish you know sometimes people were more interested in the experience rather than what you're taking home. Mm-hmm. You know, to show your friends, you know, that the, 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 the yeah, you know, I mean, there, there's almost another power thing there too, Molly. I think like you're, you're almost trying to cap, you know, and the way people say capture, you know, instead of a picture, I don't like that. I don't know. It, it implies to me that it's like you've, hmm. you've, I don't know, taken something, you've taken something rather hmm. than you've been part of something. I don't know. <laughs> it was great experience though i hadn't seen a snow owl forever and they are pretty cool you know it's like so uh, so that was cool but i didn't tell anybody where it was no you better not <laughs> no, no I'd, i'm sure everybody knows in the toronto area who's <laughs> you know it's and they were always in the same places you know it's funny i didn't need to know where they were i kind of would guess where they could be yeah you're up there you're where they live as they say, yeah. that's like, that's good country for them up there. You just, uh, you go to where they live and it's kind of the same. I mean, there's a few around here right now and, uh, I still need to, I still need to try to find one that, that Kristen can see cause she really wants to see that bird. And yeah. I'm really, you know, I'd like to, I'd like for her to see it. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm keen to, to get out into those spots in the coming weeks, hopefully. And, and have a chance to to see them and and do see them doing their thing. You know, I don't. I can. I'll be just happy seeing them sitting there. You know, looking sleepy eyed or turning their head, kind of looking around, and yeah, you know, just in their element. Yeah. That's as rewarding as anything. You know, yeah. um, this reminds me of a little story. I was talking to our friend Peter Burke while I was up in Canada, and Pete and Peter was reminding me of this us. Uh, project the snow you know snowy owl project and that they've been tracking them all over the place and finding these owls are out in open um water even in the arctic kind of uh hanging around near open water and they're hunting ducks right that's uh, a lot of uh eating ducks and i i thought i remember reading about this a couple of years ago and thinking every time when i was a kid and there'd be a snowy owl roost and you could find the pellets. There were these pellets full of feathers, and there were these gray, long feathers of long-tailed ducks. And I'm th- and I was always thinking, like, huh, isn't that weird? Like another one of these snowy owls eating ducks is like, I guess there's just not enough rodents for them to be eating right now. Because <laughs> in my mind, I had like mm-hmm. snowy owls eat voles and lemmings, right? That's all they eat. So. And I, little did I know, like, even though I'd seen like pellet after pellet year after year of them with duck feathers in there, that that's what they eat. They're actually eating ducks rather than rodents. And, and if you are not open to kind of, you know, the data, it's, you are saying, well, that's just wrong. That's, that's obviously an error that the duck, that the owl did this, this time, you know, because it should be eating <laughs> rodents. And now that I know that they eat ducks, I'm like, duh, I should have, <laughs> I should have known that. Cause they I'd, were giving you every indication they could every to tell indication, you that they yeah. eat ducks. Yeah. But that I, can you imagine like middle of the night, the, cause they do a lot of their foraging at night. That's why they're just sitting there in the day. These, Owls are going out to these sleeping flocks of long-tailed ducks or whatever and grabbing them off the water. That just blows me away. It makes the snowy owl even cooler for me. Yeah. Apex predator. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of yeah. duck talk today. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I got to say that. That time of year. Yeah. A lot of ducks around at the moment. 
And uh, yeah, I would not want to be a long-tailed duck roosting at night anywhere near where snowy owls are hanging out. That seems like a scary, scary place to be. Maybe that's why long-tailed ducks are all black and white. They're like zebras. They're trying to blend in, you know, like into some <laughs> kind of like <laughs> when the big lion slash snowy owl comes over, they they don't know what's going on. They're confused. <laughs> Disorient the snowy owls. Yeah. Hmm. I would like to see enough long-tailed ducks roosting that they look like zebras. <laughs> yeah. Well, come Deal. to Lake Ontario. There's hundreds. Yes. Really? Yeah. Oh, geez. Used to Toronto. be. Used to be the Nan. I think it was the Nantucket Christmas bird count would get like well into five figures. Long-tailed ducks. Like, yeah, like many thousand. Wow. Yeah. I've never thought about that before. <laughs> yeah, they, they. I don't think they get those numbers anymore. I don't know if they winter further north now or, or what, um, but they don't get quite. I think they still get like hundreds, um, but not the numbers they used to get. Like, because I remember on the Chesapeake Bay where I grew up birding, we would sometimes in March and April when they were moving, get we get sometimes four or five thousand out on the Chesapeake Bay, which is you know that's a lot mm. of long-tailed ducks. And I started thinking, yeah. geez, I wonder if they see them in greater numbers anywhere else. And then I looked at the Christmas bird count data and up there, I think seventies and eighties, especially probably into the nineties, they got huge counts, long tailed ducks, but not so much these days. Well, Toronto and, you know, Lake Ontario is full of them and they are in the Toronto, you know, Harbor front. You can get 10 feet away from long tailed ducks. Like oh, they, wow. they become super tame. So they're foraging just right underneath, you know, where people are walking. So they get used to it. And, um, yeah, I, w- I was, I was impressed at the fact that you could, you know, photograph these things and practically looking down on them. They're so mm. amazing looking thing, you know, I have been pretty close to them on the New Jersey coast. The past mm-hmm. few years I've done like a January or February trip over there. I love that. Mm. I love just kind of getting, like I go to, Barnegat usually and just sit down on the rocks and wait for like little flocks of purple sandpipers to work their way through and stuff. That's super cool. But yeah, I've seen them like that, but I'm trying to think what, I mean, they're, they're just kind of loosely, you know, working mm-hmm. around the banks, but I'm not very far from Toronto. That's probably a trip I should, I should take. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then you get to try the special Timbits. <laughs> oh, that's Timbits. right. <laughs> Yeah, and listen to Drake all the time. Oh, God. The He's radio. a Toronto Raptors fan. I can't abide him. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the uh, risk of a little self-promotion here, uh, and I don't think I've mentioned on the, on the podcast here yet, um, that me and colleagues, Holly Merker and Liam Hart, have started a new company called Hillstar Nature. One of our offerings, Molly, is the Jersey Coast in winter. Um, And we go for those sea ducks, scoters, long-tailed ducks, red-breasted merganser, harlequin ducks, um, eiders, common eiders, pretty good numbers in recent years. One of the things I didn't really notice as much until recent years is seeing, you know, these ducks all look so great, right? In winter, they... A lot of folks know, but a lot of folks don't probably that ducks pair in the winter. Uh, And so that's while a lot of our birds don't necessarily look at their finest in January, February, March, ducks really do. And that's because that's when they pair. And so you'll see, even right now on Christmas bird counts, you'll see hooded mergansers doing their tremendous displays where they, they do that crazy you know, like I can't really do it, but you know, that's, 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 you know, not a absolutely terrible impression, but you know, if you ever get to see a displaying hooded merganser, it's pretty tough to beat, but red breasted mergansers at the Jersey shore, February, March, even now I'm sure they do all these crazy postures and you hear them a bit too. Maybe it's always that it's been windy. I haven't heard them as well as I've heard hoodies, um, but they do some amazing posturing while they're while they're courting uh pretty amazing to see real spectacle 
That's very cool. Well, you've also got a pelagic coming up, but I'm going to be out of town with one of your colleagues. So. Yes, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that on the timing. But, I, I know. I wanted yeah. to get both you and Holly on board. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we got we got a pelagic on fifteenth of January out of Delaware, and uh, another one we're soon to announce. Uh, it'll be the 19th of February out of uh, South Jersey, Wildwood Crest, just north of Cape May there. And, um, and yeah, we, uh, we're excited about those. Hopefully the weather will, the weather gods will, sh- will smile on us and, and we'll be able to get out there and see some alcids. Obviously Dove Key is a big target, um, you know, and then there's, there's uh, other, other alcids we, we hope to see razor bills and northern gannets are often in pretty good numbers and sometimes white wing gulls, uh, and, uh, and other stuff too. So, um, yeah, Alvaro, we need to get you to migrate back east as well and get you on I've, some of these because I've been on yours, although it's I've been a never long time. I've s- never seen a dove key in my whole life. That's right. Yeah. You still mm-hmm. need that as a lifer. Two more alcids to go. Two more. For the entire family. Whiskered Oaklet <laughs> being the other. Yeah. Gotcha. And dove key. Yeah. Dove key's a tricky one. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, see the, the old white wing gulls. Yeah, you those. saw a bunch of those up north just That's recently. Right. Yeah. Razor bill. Yeah, that'd be good. That's a good, that's a good, can, can you find, I mean, is it uh, possible to see great skua? It is, is possible. It? Yeah, that's like, you, you know, it's one of those we almost dare not speak its name. Um you know, like it, back in the, you know, 60s, 70s, early 80s, I think before the international waters boundaries were redrawn, they used to find them much more often uh, out, you know, following uh, fishing trawlers. They were they were found much more routinely in the last 20 years or so off Hatteras. Uh, Brian Pattison's trips had great success finding them north of there. They're much trickier much trickier now than they used to be. Hmm. So it, it will be a possibility. Um, but I think in the last, I don't know how many have been seen, say, off New Jersey. I'm not sure any have been seen off Delaware for over a decade. Um, I think New Jersey has one or two. And it's, I mean, it's really, for, it's gotten hard. For Yeah, for people who are, you know, again, kind of new at this or, and you're like, Great Skua, okay, what's this thing? So Great Skua is probably, one of the most difficult to see regularly occurring is not a vagrant to to North America. It's a regularly occurring within the lower 48, but it's offshore, small numbers, never know where. So, I, I mean, I, I would say it's, what else is there that's so kind of hit and miss? That's one, might be one of the most hit and miss regularly occurring birds in the lower 48. Right, apart from things like yellow rail and black rail, which you which you can hear routinely right. enough, yeah. Um, so you can detect them. You right. could, you know, you could theoretically put them on an eBird list, right? Yeah, uh, or you would put them on, on an eBird list, you know, if you heard them. But great skua, hmm, that's, that's a tough one tough to get one. on the herd list, the herd only list. No. That'd be yeah. really, that'd be a really good one. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, Patterson, a lifer for me too. Great skua, yeah, yeah. Bonksy, as the Bonksy. They call it. The Bonksy. Yeah, the first one I ever saw was a true Bonksy on on the Isle of Skye off um, up in in off Scotland, which is an intensely scenic, beautiful place. And uh, we were by this old castle. I think it was Duntalum Castle, and it was like a storm was rolling in, but there was like a big opening in the sky where you get like you ever seen it where there's those like shards of light coming through, you know, they sort of like at an angle. And then, but then there's sort of the storm going on, and so there's like just Lord of the Rings. Or it was totally a Lord Star of the Wars Rings type scenario, yeah. And and this <laughs> this Bonksy is just like wheeling around, like you know, just wreaking hell, you know, it just wreaking havoc on these gulls chasing them around. I think it was like a, a lot of common gulls and stuff. I can't really remember, but I just remember being like, man, you don't want to get in that bird's way. That thing looks and, like hell on wheels. And that's a Norse name, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, it's not Celtic or I don't know what. I don't know actually. I thought I I thought it was like an old English or Celtic term or something. You yeah. might be right. But do you know what the name for the black guillemot is in those 
islands. Isn't it um, the Black Guillemot? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. You no, know, I don't this think so. Tisti. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Yeah, I think it's T-Y-S-T-I-E, something like that. That's the local name up in the Scottish islands and so forth, the Tisti. So huh. the Bunksy and the Tisti, and, they, they have, and you know, Fulmar is also another old name like this, but we actually kept that one. Um, yeah, crazy seabird names. That's a good one. One of the other ones I like is the, the word for a first-year kittiwake. Ooh, I don't know that one. That's a Tarek. T-A-R-R. Yeah, T-A-R-R-O-C-K, I believe is how it's Tarek. spelled. Tarek. Wow. Tarek Kittywake. Not like the Tarek Sandpiper. That's no, different. No. <laughs> My friend Derek showed me the Tarek <laughs> while we looked at the Tarek. No. <laughs> <laughs> you really are a disgrace. My goodness. <laughs> there was a birder called Derek who had to <laughs> start making limericks. <laughs> my goodness who had ever seen a Tarek well um, we are coming up on the hour here guys I think we did want to uh, mention that we've lost some good folks here in of late um, E.O. Wilson just passed Thomas Lovejoy I don't know Al have you ever had an occasion to to meet either of those guys I'm sure you you read E.O. Wilson stuff, at least, if yeah. not Lovejoy's. No, no. Um, I, I, one of the things about, I think people know E.O. Wilson more than uh, Thomas Lovejoy, but he was an e ecologist working a lot in um, the Amazon, but he also eventually got into the economics of conservation and the politics of cons conservation and so forth. And he was um, the guy that invented the idea of debt for land. So if a country had a debt to the, you know, international bank or, you know, that type of thing, that you could sort of say, we'll swap some of the debt for preserving some of our land, which um, it it's interesting on many levels, you know, in, in that it preserves land and so forth, and it's a good, good way to alleviate debt. Now, I don't want to get into the whole thing of, the international bank and debts and all this kind of stuff that we put these other countries through. But I think he was a very creative person in figuring out solutions for conservation. I, I, I appreciate that, um, that some of the work he did after he'd finished, you know, doing a lot of his academic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a rough week. Um, losing, losing those guys. Uh, they had pretty good, long runs um and i think molly you had a chance to go birding with kurt ron as well who we lost last week yeah yeah with him at several different festivals and whatnot um and what do you say about something like that yeah uh you know there are plenty of people who knew kurt much better than me uh and my experiences were generally at a festival or something and people are getting together to go birding or making some morning plans and he would just you know, jump in with anybody, which says a lot about just what a complete ray of sunshine he was. Uh, it was just so pleasant to get to have any conversation, go birding or have a drink or anything with him. And uh, certainly one of the good ones. Yeah, you could tell. I, I didn't have occasion to go birding with him, but you could tell by the outpouring from a bunch of really good folks that he must have been a an ace character, a really good, really good guy. So that was a sad loss. And then we also lost Jerry Laguari, um, who I did have occasion to do some birding with over the years, uh, and a real champion of Birds of Prey, Raptors, writing multiple books, really introduced a lot of people to Raptors in a way they'd never seen before, uh, influenced so many. Um, so that was a very painful loss. He had a long battle with ALS and uh, had, a, had a tough battle these last few years. I, I never met Jerry, of course, know a lot of his good friends, but the the thing that really strikes me as um 
really special is um, that there are people who were really rank beginners in the hawk watching world that had uh that he just sort of took them under their wing his wing you know or, or really taught them or was really open about getting them more involved or to learn to 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 get a little further on but on the other hand he was like uh beyond everybody at such a level that usually people like that you know not usually but many times people like that don't have time for the rank beginner right they're not even good teachers necessarily they're not right yeah. but he was so so you have such s- such a loss in that respect you know just leader in the field and also fine human being is is everything i've heard about him and i i just uh i'm sad for many many reasons uh for both jerry and kurt but uh sad that i never got to meet them so yeah good characters good guys for sure well, uh, thanks everybody for listening today. Happy New Year. And Molly and Al, I'll see you in 2022. All right. Cheers. Bye bye, everybody. Bye.